I think inflation is a, is a bigger problem in the UK and probably in Europe um, than, than it is in other countries. You've got China is opening up after its COVID lockdowns. I think the UK is probably in for a harder landing than the UK, sorry, than Europe and definitely a harder landing than the US. How's it going? My name is Connor Devine. You're listening to my podcast, Money and Plants. This is the show where I get to talk about some really big issues that affect your life and my life. In this episode of the show, it's number 48. I have an old friend of mine and he has been on the podcast a number of times over the last two years. I am speaking to Mr. Nick Leeson. Nick should be familiar to most people. He was uh, probably infamously known as the guy who bust the Queen's Bank. Bearings Bank, over 25 years ago, racking up losses of over £850 million. So given all of the, I suppose, uh, the current situation that we face from an economic standpoint, the global economy is in a spin. Inflation is running at an all-time high. There is now talk of a looming recession. I thought, who better to speak to about all of this than Nick himself. He has been trading in the financial markets for over 30 years. He has been through a number of economic events. And I always like speaking to Nick because he's not your stereotypical investor or economist or trader. You know, he's he's quite a contrarian. So he doesn't run with the norm. He doesn't just say things that maybe the media or the Financial Times uh, talk about. He's, he's, he's got his own mind and his own view on things. So in this conversation coming up, I speak to Nick about all of that um, and where he sees things going over the next sort of year or two. And then I also speak to him about the huge news uh, in the last seven to 10 days, the collapse of the currency exchange FTX and the founder, Sam Brinkman-Fried, the young SBF, the young cool crypto entrepreneur who last Monday was worth $36 billion dollars and by Friday, he was worth zero. Um, how did that all happen? And I asked Nick about that, about um, some of the similarities between what happened to SBF and FTX and what happened to him whenever he bust the Queen's Bank uh, and was arrested and he served time in prison. So uh, that's a really, really interesting uh, conversation. So look, if you're interested in economics, if you're interested in business, if you're interested in you know, the housing market and where maybe interest rates are going to be in the next year or two, this is a conversation for you. Let's roll the tip and I'll do my normal summing up uh, just after this conversation between myself and Mr. Nick Leeson of last week. Nick Leeson, good morning. How are you keeping? How are you? How have you been doing? Yeah, good. Surviving. How is Galway? How is the west of Ireland? Has things things picked up? Yeah, you see a lot of building at the moment, Connor, to be honest with you. Um, obviously much needed over the last few years. And um, 
you know, I think the uh, the city's getting ever closer to me um, out of my rural abode. Um, it seems to be moving that way at the moment. But, yeah, no, it looks... I, I mean, obviously, we've, we've got this backdrop of a possible recession. Um, and But I think people's, people are reasonably upbeat at the moment. That's good. Always good to hear Mr. Leeson's uh, upbeat. And, and also interesting to see that the, the city of Galway is encroaching upon your huge estate with your horses <laughs> and your Irish wolfhounds. I've been down to that estate. It's been uh, quite a, a magnificent plot of ground you have there in Galway. Um, so, look, out of this podcast, um, I know we know each other. You've been on the show a, load, a lot of times and I, I wanted to wait to speak to you, actually, because there's just so much going on right now. Um, we've been sort of working together, I think, seven or eight years off and on, which has went so fast. But I was sort of thinking about this last night around, um, you know, it's just just in terms of the, the the markets and the economy. And and I'm an agent for the Bank of England. I was at their presentation last week and, and they have a presentation to their agents every three months in Belfast. And it's really interesting. Actually, the, the, the last one I was at was six months ago. So the data was there was a gap of six months. And it was interesting for me to see where the Bank of England see things over the next three years in, in terms of inflation and base rates. And I'm going to I'm going to ask you about some of that stuff. But in terms of economic events and, and crises, um, we had the uh, the Wall Street crash of, of 1929. Um, obviously, after the Second World War, uh, things were, were ropey for, for a decade or more. We had the 70s, which was a challenging time globally. And then we had Black Monday, which is now you're you're sort of kicking in in terms of your trading experience uh 1987 uh october the 19th i'm sure you remember it like yesterday and then we had the dot-com crash in the 90s the gfc in 2008 so this is now my era i'm obviously a very young man much younger than you um so uh, i went through the gfc uh and then we had the global pandemic then with nine two years ago we're just coming out of that i'm interested in how you package that up and then how you see because uh, you said something, we had a chat yesterday. Um, you didn't sort of foresee things maybe as bad in the next two years as a lot of people are talking about. So, Madison, how do you package the last, the pandemic, the the crash and the pandemic, alongside the other sort of big economic events of the last sort of one hundred years? Yeah, well, I, I, I think in simple terms, Connor, it's a bit like when you look at a property market. Um, you know, mar- markets overheat from time to time, and they need a correction. <clears throat> and so the, one, the, the big events that you've mentioned there have served as big corrections in the market. And what sometimes they allow people to do is to reinvest and get re, re-energised about the market. So I think that's you're seeing some of that at the moment, believe it or not. You know, as, as bad as things look, I think when you talk about recession, when you talk about depression and, and things like that, unfortunately, as you know, as I know, it, it affects the people who have least the most. So, um, and, and, you know, I, I think for a lot of people, there's a recession already. You know, things are very, very difficult. Commodity prices, uh, as we know, over the last period are going through, through the roof. And that's hitting really, really hard on the people that have the least in society. And, you know, the government obviously have, have come up with a couple of schemes that um, are, are supposed to address that. But they, I think, you know, in my own summary would be that they're using very blunt instruments to do that by giving everybody, you know, a, 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 um, um, a contribution to their electricity bills or whatever else they're doing in the UK 
uh, and in Ireland. But it's quite clear that not everybody needs that, mm -hmm. right? So they're not focusing on the people that really need um, the, the, the support at the moment. I, I saw a report in in Ireland just a few weeks ago, uh, uh, whoever um, whoever made the comment, but if you don't need the money, then just give it back. Like if anybody's going to give money back to the government, I'm going to be really, really surprised. And, you know, people are going to be paying this for years as well because, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to run that sort of debt or, or, or that sort of um, programme, it's got to be paid for, right? And it's going to only be paid for in taxes down the line. Um, and um, so I think there are, there are ways that people are trying to address it. So I think to answer your question, you, you know, you have natural corrections in the market and then sometimes you have these big sort of events that occur as well um, that, that, that allow people to come, to come back into the markets and reinvest. And you're seeing that at the moment, right? The, the UK, I think if you look at, um, you know, the earnings potential for some of the companies there, it's probably one of the, um, it's probably one of the markets that's been really downtrodden over the last couple of years. And you're starting to see a lot of investment coming back into those UK companies. I think one of the downsides of that is that over time, you're going to see the control of some of these companies being lost to foreign investors um, because they are cherry picking the type of companies that they want to get involved in. And I think there's some great companies in the UK. You know, earnings are strong um, and, and that's why the markets are as as buoyant as they are at the moment and you know earnings are probably what drive the financial markets more than anything else so you are seeing you know like the dow jones is six percent off of its all-time record higher and then you've got a backdrop of a recession so i think there was some uh, there was some inflation data out in the uk today this morning and and, and it's particularly poor you know inflation is still um, going through the roof in the UK, but we're starting to see in the US that it's starting to cool down a bit because they've had very aggressive rate hike policy. You mentioned the 1970s. One of the things that happened in the 1970s when the, the US were raising rates is that they'd raise them, then they'd stop raising them, then they'd raise them again. And that stop-start policy probably uh, prolonged or, or, or really... Um, well, so, yeah, prolonged the period of inflation and started the recession that occurred during that period. So this time they're being ultra aggressive and they're going to continue. And um, I think the US is probably headed for a soft landing. I think the UK and Ireland is probably headed for a recession just because of the different approaches and, um, and the way that earnings are so robust in the US at the moment. Yeah, so I'm just I was looking at my at my phone there. Um I was at this presentation last week up at the Stormont Hotel. Um the Bank of England gave the presentation to about forty of us. And you know, I, I I asked the question the last time I was at um the presentation of of the presenter was why does why does she think that you know the Bank of England and central bankers seem to get everything wrong all of the time? Um because whenever they were talking about inflation, um two years ago, me and you spoke about this. It was, you know, transitory, 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 or permanent, right? And one of the issues that I see, um, you know, there's nine people on the uh, MPC, the Monetary Policy Committee. And, you know, whenever I had Hugh Henry on the podcast in July, I mean, he was scathing of, of central bankers um, that they just crash the economy and they're unaccountable. And then there's Danny Blanchflower, who was Gordon Brown's economic advisor, who I know he, he sits to the left on the political side of things, but 
I mean, he's absolutely scathing of, of central bankers. But one, one of the observations that I took and, and the question I put to the presenter last week then was, um, there's, there seems to be an, a total focus and, and obsession is the right word from the Bank of England's per- perspective to get inflation down to 2%, right? Okay. And they actually modeled the graph. They showed us the graph whereby uh, they, the Bank of England predict a two-year recession. So that's very long. Recessions can last typically from six months to two years. So they're predicting this two-year recession right up to the end of 2025, no growth. Unemployment sort of peaks at about 8% from about 3%. Um, but it was interesting because they ran the, so base rate is really the, the monetary tool where they think if they put up interest rates, then inflation is going to fall back. So they're sort of saying that's demand-based inflation, whereas others are saying, well, it's not because it's energy inflation and it's external impacts on our economy, which is really causing all of these, these things. But what I said was whenever they raise interest rates, they're talking about raising the base rate to maybe about five odd percent, which is another 200 base points in the next sort of 18 months. Um, but they ran the model of keeping the base rate at 3%, which is what it is today. And that would get inflation down to about 4% in two years' time, right? As opposed to putting the base rate to maybe 5, 5.5 and, and getting inflation down allegedly to 2%. So the question I had was, most people would accept inflation at 4% because it's 10 to 20% at the minute, depending on, you know, if you do your own personal inflationary calculation, right? But there does seem to be, Nick, this obsession of getting inflation from whatever it is now to 2%. And they admitted to us that whatever that takes, which means unemployment, businesses going bust, people, mental health being destroyed, all of that. So that's called collateral damage. I'm interested in how you see what I've just said there. How do you think about that? Like this obsession with 2%, getting it down to 2%, um, and then the impact that, that that's going to have, the catastrophic impact on people who live in the UK. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's a tough one, Connor. And I'm like, I'm definitely not an economist, so I, I, I don't have the um, I don't have the correct answer for you on on, on why they're fixated on that two percent number. But you know, it's not just the UK; um, the US is fixated on that two percent number as well. So everybody wants to get in inflation just, down. Just down just to that just, to enter, just just to help you think about that then because I asked uh, one of the economists that was with me um Richard Ramsey from the Ulster Bank said that it seems to be pegged to wages because if inflation is running at 4 or 5% then the public sector will demand 4 or 5% pay increases to keep up with inflation then it becomes political. So for me I was going right I could connect the dots now I'm going all right so it's actually so the bank, so these central bank, it's a political vehicle, and we we know that they try to say that they're not connected to politics. But but to me, then like that, the penny dropped for me. Going right, okay, I understand, because they can't give everybody in the NHS a five percent pay increase every year. Exactly, and you're seeing some of those strikes occur already. You know, there's there's unrest all over the place. I I can't remember the post office was on strike for a while. The NHS is striking. You've got rail disputes going on at the moment. So all of that infrastructure would start to come down. So that 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 would probably make sense. And, and, and 2% is probably where that is pegged. You know, do we need to get down to 2% as quickly as possible? It seems to be the approach that they're taking globally, not 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 just um not just in the UK. And and that, as you said, it's going to lead to job losses. You're seeing that already um, with some of the tech companies, the growth companies who've who've overestimated in terms of their hire over the last period and and they're starting to shed companies uh, or shed people uh, at the moment. There will be companies 
um, going bust as well. Um, you know, the interest rates are going to drive some of that entrepreneurial spirit out of the market for a period of time because it's just going to be too costly. You know, I remember that 1970s period. You know, when I first got a mortgage, I think I was paying 16% on, um, on, on, on the money that was borrowed at that time. So it's, um, you know, it was a very, very challenging time for people. And like you say, I think mental health is, is going to be a huge issue. I think hopefully over the last number of years, people have got better um, at dealing with that. I know there's a long way to go with it. Um, but... I mean, it sounds like the logic you've just given there is the most appropriate. Um, yeah. But yeah, could we survive at 3% for a period? I'm, I'm sure we could. Um, you know, could we survive at 4% for a period? We could. But, you know, you've also then got this balance that's going to occur. You know, if the interest rates um, are too aggressive, you're not seeing that growth in the companies, you're not getting the earnings coming through as well. You know, the UK is going to be, um, less attractive to invest in for foreign investors, and you know, there's a, there's a whole different, you know, there's a whole uh, complete yeah. uh, group of things that need to be looked at. Just on the interest rates, then, because today I think the the mortgage, typical two year mortgage fixed rate at the minute is about six and a half percent in the UK. It's between six and seven percent. Some are actually over seven percent. Um, and and the challenge really then for the UK, and that includes Northern Ireland. Um, is that in the next 12 months, for example, there's 2 million people coming out of mortgage products who have to remortgage into another product. I mean, that's that's catastrophic um, for those people because in terms of, and this has been well documented in the US, not as no, enough talked about in the UK and, and NI, but, but for those personal balance sheets, that's totally catastrophic because people will be going from paying £700 a month to maybe £2,100 £2, a month. It's, it's a disaster. Um, but it does seem that in the US and the UK that interest rates are, are on the rise. They're going to float in around 5 or 6%, more or less. But the difference that I only really twigged in me yesterday was that the European base rate is, is lower than, than the UK's and, and the US. And an economist I spoke to yesterday was basically saying, well, we, we don't expect in Ireland and in Europe the base rate to go anywhere near as high as the UK and the US. So we don't expect then mortgage rates to be as volatile. And and that, to me, that that, that was a sort of a, a dawning moment in my brain because I, I never joined the dots that the ECB have 27 countries. It's, it's politically fragmented. Uh, Italy's on the point of going bust again, seems to be every year. The Italians are, are struggling. Um, so... I'm interested in your thoughts around that because obviously the, the so so this economist was arguing that he doesn't see prices falling, house prices falling in Ireland as much in North in Northern Ireland. I think house prices could fall up to thirty percent. Okay, they're already falling ten percent in my experience in the last six months with what has happened. I think uh, houses over three hundred thousand. Uh, I think there's a big drop there. I think for first time buyers and investor products sub two hundred, there'd still be activity there, but the market has slowed down considerably. So I think. House prices are in danger of losing between 10 and 30%, depending on the particular house in the Northern Irish market. The economist I spoke to yesterday wasn't so sure that there would be as much a drop in the Republic of Ireland. And one of the reasons he said that was because he didn't see interest rates getting to the levels of the UK. What's your sort of thoughts on that and the housing market in Ireland, house prices in Ireland? Do you see a big drop coming uh, interest rates? What, what do you think? 
Yeah, well, I, I mean, it's probably more your area than mine. I mean, what you what what you see locally is there's an awful lot of building going on at the moment. Number one, um, so demand still out, out outpaces supply um, in this country. Um, so you've got a demand and supply um, type issue that's at play there. The last two rate increases in by the ECB have both been seventy five basis points. So. Surprisingly enough, they've been slightly more aggressive than the Bank of England because I think the the rate hike um, before uh, okay. or, or, or the, the previous rate hike to the last one was only 50, was only okay. fifty basis points. So um, the Bank of England definitely needs to be more aggressive, <coughs> and there's no doubt about that after these inflation numbers came out today. Um, so I, th- I think the ECB, like you said, because of the political landscape that exists there, they're, they're not going to be as aggressive. Um, but I think to date they've been reasonably aggressive. I mean, my own mortgage has gone up uh, considerably under the last couple of months. I think I've had three rate increases over the last three um, three meetings or so. Hopefully it pauses for, for, for personal reasons. Um but, yeah, no, I think the Bank of England definitely needs to do more. So I think you are going to see that imbalance, you know. the, um, the, the and, and part of that is from leaving um, uh, leaving the uh, the Eurozone as well, you know. And, and the decision now they have to, you know, they have to control their own money and their own rate policy and their own inflation. Um, and, and maybe that's proven a more difficult task than, um, than they would have expected. David McWilliams is, is suggesting that there's maybe a 20% correction in house prices in the Republic of Ireland. We, we spoke about this a, a, a bit yesterday. Um, do you see that 20% drop in house prices in Ireland? Do you think they're building enough houses in the South to, to you know, how do you see that? Um, I, think, I, I think, I mean, they're definitely building more and you can see that, when, you know, every time you go through Dublin, um, certainly around Galway, there's a lot of building going on. You've got, you know, you've got issues with the... Um, uh, the amount of housing that's being handed over um, to the Ukrainians that need it, that are in this country, um, and, and, and rightly so. Um, I think student accommodation is very sparse at the moment, and there's that, there's issues there. I think the way that you characterise it in terms of house prices, um, you know, I think that the, the potential, you know, who can buy a 350, 400,000 euro house in, in, in the Republic these days is... Um, is limited in number. I see just, and, and, and you mentioned the small plot of land that I have in Galway, Connor, but houses close, houses close to us, you know, they might have been sale agreed. Um, they, they might have been sale agreed um, maybe six months ago, but the sales aren't going through. They're stalling. And you can see yeah. that there's a few more for sale boards going up around where I live. I don't really expect them to sell. So, you know, I mm. think in, in, in that sort of bracket, there is there is definitely going to be um, yeah. a, a pullback. I think it takes, it's going to take about six months um, for the, the, the thing to sort of filter through. And I think, I actually believe that it'll be 12 months um, from today that we'll be able to review the impact of the sort of change in interest rates and how that has impacted the housing market. Look, this is one of the reasons why I was really interested in speaking to you this morning. Um, we have had another uh, financial um, scandal. Um, the FTX, Sam Bankman-Fried scandal is all over the news. Story broke last Monday, probably seen it around Tuesday time. I've sort of been following it this last seven to ten days. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited actually about, about the 
and I'm interested in who's going to play him in the film. Um, the last scandal film that I watched uh, was Rogue Trader. Um, uh, uh, the one and only Ewan McGregor uh, played yourself, obviously. Um, they couldn't find anyone uh, good enough looking to get, uh, so it had to be McGregor. Um, but look, I'm interested in this again. Here we go again, right? So I know it's it's a crypto company. Um, it's a trading company. Uh, we're talking about billions. Last Monday, this guy was a 30-year-old. He was worth 36 billion. Today, he's worth zero, apparently. Um, look, FTX, it's a crypto exchange, right? I'm interested in, whenever you've seen that story breaking, um, I'd really, I'm really interested in, in how you, what what you started to think about. What what are you thinking about Bankman Freed, the son of two uh Stanford professors, big Democrat. I think he donated $40 million to, to the Democrats last year. He's a number of Joe Biden's personnel advising them. It seems to be deeply political. It stinks to the high heavens, if you ask me. But I'm, I'm interested. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I mean, I um, you probably know a little bit more about the story than I, but the um, you know when you see the story breaking, um, it, you're not surprised. It's funny. I, I, I was watching CNBC this morning, and and I caught the CEO of Binance um, talking. I think they're set up now in Abu Dhabi, and he was talking at a conference there. And you know, rule rule one hundred and one in banking, right, is you segregate your customer money. And, and reconcile your customer money. So you prove every day that, you know, I've got Connors and Nick's money and it's in a segregated banking account. And whatever happens to us, their money is safe. And, you know, it's kind of strange listening to um, to this guy this morning. Apologies, I don't know his name. But, um, you know, they don't do that. And he said within the next 10 days, they will start doing that. When he first started out in the in the crypto world, they used to do it. There was a way that you could look at your hashtag, your hash or whatever it's called, and you could see that that money was actually included within the exchange. And I think what what, what happened with this FTX scandal is that a lot of the money was being lent back out, or a lot of the a, a lot of the um, to the trading the, the the trading company was called Alameda Research, and it seemed to me that the money was going into FTX, and he was. Funneling that through to help me to research. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I think I, th- I think that's a fairly um, I think that's a safe assumption. Uh, you know, the story has to has to completely come out, I suppose, and be investigated. But I think the, the way that the way that I understood it this morning is that, and and I, you know, I know nothing about cryptos other than a very peripheral view and 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 a strong opinion on it. But basically, you should be able to see that your hash or whatever it's called is actually included in the balance of the exchange so that they're segregating that and that it is part, that it's still there, right? And, and I think with what happened with FTX, my very brief and vague understanding of this is that he was then lending some of that back out to his own mm-hmm. company. So if you did that reconciliation, you know, Connor Devine's hash is no longer there and mm-hmm. you can work that out. So. But this is just basic stuff, right? So you want to know if you've got money or you've got an asset, you want to know it's there, that it's safe, and nobody can get at it. And, and that hasn't existed. Or certain companies in the, in, in the crypto space do, or certain exchanges in the crypto space do it. I think he mentioned two uh, of the exchanges that do it. From a Binance perspective, he said that they will have it back fully operational within the next 10 days or so, and you will be able to perform this process. 
but that's just basic stuff, right? Um, you know, like this is as basic as it gets. And and to, you know, understand fully that, you know, these simple procedures aren't in place, you know, just reinforces to me that it, it, it's a bit like the Wild West, right? And now they're saying we want more regulation and, and regulation, of course, will help that. Um, but, you know, this sort of stuff should have been in place from the beginning. Blockchain is supposed to be... A, and again, you know, like I'm talking out of, my, out, out of my left ear a little bit here. You know, blockchain was supposed to be these, you know, it's supposed to be something that you couldn't um, you couldn't uh, manipulate or, or change. It was all supposed to be decentralized. And now it, there seems to be an acceptance that they need more regulation, that they need more help. You need trust, right? And, and any financial product, you need trust, you need confidence. Um and, and and that's been eroded a little bit. Yeah. And 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 I, I see in, in this uh, sort of, again on CNBC this morning, one of the headlines that come up is, is one of the other uh, exchanges is potentially in trouble this week. So it's having a it's having a knock on effect. It's you know if you get a if you get a a, a, a knock on confidence in any financial product, you know that can go to the nth degree. And it doesn't for me it doesn't matter what that product is, right? It could be sterling. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw a run on the currency years ago when George Soros was playing with that. Um, Northern Rock, um, around the global financial crisis, if people get worried, you know, you can get a bank run. Um, So that can happen to anything. It doesn't matter what cryptocurrency it is. I I mean, Bitcoin is the one that they say is a little bit aside of this. But, you know, I dispute that. If, If you get a run on Bitcoin... And, and, and everybody's trying to sell it. Bitcoin can go to zero. Why not? So any so anything can go to zero. Yeah, but I think I think I think it's the difference not that that this is a crypto exchange where people are trading and bits and papers. Bitcoin's a, a, a an entity in itself. It's not an exchange. You know, it's 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 different. Like that, Bitcoin isn't crypto. The reason why people use use exchanges and you trade futures and options and you trade equities on an exchange is because you trust them. Right? Mm. That's that's the that, that's the and the, and they're protecting your money. They're protecting your investment. And you know this crypto exchange, and this isn't the first one of them to go bust. Yeah. Right. There've been a few of them. So yeah. these crypto exchanges aren't protecting your money and uh, or, or your investment. As far as I see it, you know that they're, they're not doing the simple things that they should be doing. Yes, they will be in ten or fifteen days' time, mm. but that's not good enough. And you know, and, and that for me just, you know, going back to that thing about confidence and trust, yeah. it, it just, it, it knocks that, unfortunately. Right. right. So tell me this. So whenever, whenever you, taking you back, sorry to do this, to your bearings days and whenever you wrote the note and then you you uh, absconded, um, and from the, my recollection of the story, you woke up the next day and your, 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 your name was on television. You were the world's most wanted man. Was that within 24 hours? Pretty much, yeah. Right. Okay. So within twenty four hours, and then you were arrested within what three or four days? Yeah. Handcuffed, brought to uh, where? Germany. Germany. So you were arrested, uh, brought to Germany. World's most wanted man, um, and that was over twenty five years ago. Your man Bankman Fried is in the Bahamas, right? I see the U.S. Council are thinking about uh, having <laughs> conversations and discussions with him around this there doesn't seem to be any uh, kind of urgency from law enforcement to arrest this man you know billions have vanished 
How do you reconcile that? How come this guy hasn't been arrested? How come he's not sitting in custody? Like you, you, you were the world's most wanted man. It was all over the, the, the TV. You need to arrest this man. If you see them, he could be dangerous. I'm adding that bit in. But I'm just, I'm wondering, do you know what I'm saying? Like there seems to be, it's as if, ah, oh yeah, we'll get right. We'll speak to him. We'll see how, what, you know, what happened here. There doesn't seem to be that urgency there to figure this out. I, I'll tell you exactly what the reason is, right, is they don't understand yet, right? So they don't really, you know, to, to, to prosecute somebody, you have to find them guilty of a crime, right? So at the moment, there's a lot of supposition about what went on. And I'm sure a lot of it is very accurate. But, you know, like I remember when I was first arrested, I, um, you know, the reason why I was arrested at first was for travelling on a false passport, which I wasn't doing. I wouldn't have known how to get one. So that was the original reason to, um, to, to arrest me in Germany. And then they... Um, and, and then they came up with seven charges of cheating, right, which is false accounting by um, by a different definition. And and that's right. Right. So I never I never disputed it. But then, you know, nine months later, maybe not nine, eight months later, I was extradited back to Singapore. And, and my first day in Singapore was explaining to the commercial affairs department what what I'd actually done and fleshing out my own charges. Mm-hmm. So, and that had taken eight months, and they were still really no clearer to the detail, the granular detail of, of what was going to be done. And I was probably, um, I could have made myself a more difficult target by, now I was going back to Singapore, there's only one judge, you're not going to plead not guilty because he's still going to find you guilty. It's that That's the way the country works. Um, but in the US and the UK, they've got to prove that something has gone wrong. So I think at the beginning, or, or what you're seeing right now by, and the Justice Department in the US is really good, right? They're a lot better than the UK, and they'll get to the point quicker than most people will. Um, but once they once, once they uh, zoom into the part where there's been a fraud, um, or, or, or there's been something criminal that's gone on within with, within the organisation, and they, you know they've got to get themselves up to speed about what they're looking at, right? They're they're, they're they're going to be a bit like me and be, you know, what is this? And have to explain it and understand it first, and bring some experts in, possibly to help them. And and that's the reason it's going to take a little bit of time. Yeah. Uh, by sense. which time, which time the man will probably be in Montenegro or somewhere else where there's. Yeah. Um, or, or where there's not an extradition treaty, or if he's not, that's where he should be heading right now. I, so. I, I, I believe he's deleting tweets um, this past three or four days. Uh, it's it's all playing out. But look, that's been brilliant to catch up with you and get your thoughts on this stuff. Um, it's it's an interesting time. So just to sum up, then, I mean, a lot of the 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 more sort of economic sort of characters that I speak to who have a freedom to speak their mind are quite negative about the economy and the markets over the next 12 months. But you definitely don't seem to be as negative. You still think there's a fair bit of firepower out there that you you, you don't see this drastic downturn um, happening. Do you think it just might sort of fizzle out a little bit and then go again? Yeah, well, I think it's going to be different in different locations. I think in the US, it will be uh, in the US, because, partly because of the more aggressive policy, but probably more importantly, because earnings are still robust. You know, Walmart and Home Depot both reported yesterday, both beat earnings. Their stocks were soaring yesterday. Um, The forward guidance that they're offering is a little bit different. Um, 
But, you know, earnings are still really, really good in the US. Um, I think inflation is a, is a bigger problem in the UK and probably in Europe um, than, than it is in other countries. You've got China is opening up after its COVID lockdown. So that's going to benefit some countries as well. So I think you've got a harder, I think the UK potentially, and I don't want to forecast because I sound like an economist and I'm not, I think the UK is probably in for a harder landing than the UK, sorry, than Europe and definitely a harder landing than the US. Nice way to finish. It's fantastic to speak to you again, Nick. Uh, looking forward to doing it again really soon. Have a great day. All right, bye-bye. Hey everyone, welcome back. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Nick. Uh, never a dull moment with Nick. He has a really interesting insight and perspective on these things. And I actually spoke to Nick last week and I asked him when he come back on the podcast. And we had a bit of a chat about where he's seen things. And I was very surprised because he's one of the first guys that I've spoken to in the last sort of two or three months who's a little more optimistic of where things might be going in the economy. And I suppose anyone, Nick's quite a private person. Um, I definitely wouldn't describe him as an optimist. <laughs> I think he's quite sober. Um, uh, when you speak to him, he's, he's quite measured um, and very calm. And I was expecting him to have a much, uh, I suppose, darker view of the economy and where things might be going. But he, he's, he's quite upbeat about it. He, he thinks it's maybe a soft landing in the U.S., he does think that things might be a bit more challenging in the UK. And I thought it was really interesting, his take on the ECB and the interest rates there may not go to as high as they are in the UK. And then that the impact then on the housing market in terms of house prices, the correction that's now taking effect in the housing market across Northern Ireland and further afield won't be as severe in the Republic of Ireland. So I thought that was really interesting. Always good to hear um, that there's more building going on in Galway as well, that the developers are out, that things seem to be moving forward. So in the round, I thought it was a really interesting conversation. Um, I hope you got some value from it. Uh, you can follow Nick on LinkedIn. He's also on Twitter. If you haven't seen the film Rogue Trader, I would uh, encourage you to watch it this weekend. Um, really interesting film, even though it is 25 uh, years old. And look, I've learned an awful lot from from the friendship that I have had with Nick over the years and we work together as well in Dublin and we still do a bit of work together. And I think it's as a young entrepreneur and a young person evolving myself, I think I've, I've, I've really benefited from that friendship and that relationship. And I would like to think, thank Nick um, for coming back on and, and for sharing some of his ideas and thoughts about what the hell is going on out now. Look, if you like the podcast, I would love you to share it. This one's on YouTube as well. Um, so go and watch it there. Also, give me some feedback. Feedback is really good. Uh, you can get me at Connor at ConnorDevine.com or also I'm on LinkedIn. I'm Twittering as well. And if you are interested in maybe my health journey, probably the best place to follow me is Instagram. So look, that's been episode 48. My name's Connor Devine. I hope you enjoyed the show. I look forward to speaking to you again very, very soon. Until then, look after each other and yourself. Have a great day.